0: This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hello! Today we are going to do our last Publish the Personal podcast edition special, which means that I am featuring authors who were in my spring Publish the Personal class who wrote essays and read them out loud for this very podcast. In Publish the Personal, I teach authors how to write personal essays and get them published. And if this sounds like something that's really interesting to you, I am leading a fall cohort of the class. So join us August 25th is the beginning of my six-week class, Publish the Personal. You'll definitely want to snag your seat if you've been thinking about it. And we meet on Zoom for six weeks. We go over some essay prompts and ideas of what to write for specific magazines. You write your essays. We workshop them as a group. I give feedback as well. And then you submit them for publication. It's such a fun class. So you can learn more at Nadine. Kenny Johnstone.com forward slash workshops. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. So let's dive into these essays. These women are talking about experiences of trusting themselves and really fully coming into their own. First, we're going to hear from an author who writes about becoming a writer And really, truly believing in herself and having the confidence to be a writer and the support that she received along the way.
1: Hi, I'm Laura Toma. I'm a writer and theater maker currently living on the shoreline of Connecticut. Today, I'll be sharing my essay, Planted, with you. Interesting, she said quickly and handed the pages back. My essay, Daddy's Little Girl, was going to be published in the school's literary magazine, And though I knew we'd both be uncomfortable, I was determined to have my mother read it. I wasn't your average college student. In my early 30s and a professional dancer, I had recently decided to take a couple of night classes. My mother, a college professor herself, thought this was a silly idea. But far worse in her mind was my writing and sharing anything personal. The essay wasn't really about her though i had included a heated conversation we'd had the year i'd gone to visit my father's grave instead of going home for christmas my essay was about my need to build a relationship with my father who i'd never known as he had been killed when i was just 11 months old i was proud of my essay maybe because it was a step in claiming my own narrative maybe because it was the first time in years i was sharing my writing publicly or maybe because it was showing me the impact of someone actively believing in me. Mr. Buckley, my Comp 101 teacher, had assigned the class an essay that was to be both personal and universal. I nervously waited as he handed back our papers and wasn't at all surprised to see mine filled with red marks. After all, I had stopped sharing my writing in the fourth grade because my grammar was atrocious. But something was different about these markings. Though they were in red, they weren't angry. And up at the top of the page, Mr. Buckley had written a question. Are you a professional writer? If not, you should be. What? This made no sense. And after class, I rushed up to him and demanded he explain himself. He laughed and told me I was a good storyteller and that I just needed to work closely with an editor. Then he encouraged me to submit to the school magazine. Mr. Buckley planted a seed that day. To say that my mother and I had a complicated relationship is an understatement. We loved each other deeply, and in some ways were very similar. But in many, we were completely different. With that seed, Mr. Buckley gave me a gift that would eventually bloom into an understanding and insight of my mother. But it would take years for that seed to bloom. After having a career-ending injury, moving across the country, then losing my mother, I sought solace in my daily writing. One day, I was pleasantly surprised to realize I was writing a play. Excited, I quickly sought out a class to learn more. For the final assignment, I wrote a short play based on my old essay and called it Mama and Me. Mr. Buckley's seed was beginning to sprout. It was a challenging and healing process to work on the play. It grew slowly into a one act and then got attention at a national festival. So I kept working, expanding it into a full-length play during a playwriting residency. I workshopped it for months in different places with different people. I sat in theaters listening to actors speaking lines my mother and I had once said to each other. As the characters took on lives of their own, the play slowly left the realm of my true life and became something much greater. The seed was blossoming. I worked hard because I wanted to get the story right. I was amazed how many people sided with either the mother or the daughter. I wanted to honor them both. Then during the pandemic, a publisher read it and loved it. He said it reminded him of his own mother and sister and asked if he could publish it. I immediately wrote to Mr. Buckley and yearned to call my mother. A playwright festival winner this past February, Magpie, got a complete staged reading. As I sat in the darkened theater watching the fight scene between Mama and Maggie, I was riveted. The actors were so powerful, each playing a character rooted in their own truth. And then the most healing thing of all happened. I felt my mother. That evening was a salve. I felt proud of myself as a writer, as a self-advocate, and as a daughter. Thanks for listening. You can connect with me through my website, lauratomaplaywright.com. Toma is spelled T-H-O-M-A, or on Instagram at laura.toma.coaching. Thanks for listening.
0: What I love about Laura is that she has so many wonderful talents. So she comes to writing from various places as a playwright, as someone who has a sense of the theatrical world, as a previous professional dancer... As a life coach and so I really truly feel that her writing embodies all of these many skills and talents that she has and it shows what we can do when we put our mind to something so we do hope that you'll check out Laura she's incredible next we're going to hear from a writer who's talking about another writerly journey, but also really about the things that we are when we're little, the creative beings that we are, and how that gets kind of stolen away from us when we become responsible adults, and then how to regain or re-inhabit that creative energy again when we are adults.
2: Hi, I'm Margaret Gilmetti and I love story. As a storyteller, a solo show artist on Instagram and as the author of a memoir. I'm going to be reading, rewriting the family handbook. Here's me at 10 years old. I walk home after school humming and making up stories. Say hi to my mom, chatter to her about my day. In warm weather, she says, go lie in the grass tell me afterwards what you see in the clouds. At bedtime, my dad reads fairy tales with me, always taking the role of beauty so I can be the beast. And even when teachers tell me to color within the lines, I color outside the lines. At 10, I'm confident and happy in my creativity. So why did I disown this essential part of me for half a freaking century? Well, another side of my parents raising me right kicked in what I call the family handbook, a metaphorical, not literal handbook outlining rules to live by, rules I followed to belong, to feel loved, a good girl. The biggest rule was work hard work hardest. So I turned away from what had come easily to me, farewell, your book cover, my pen and ink drawing of a fire-breathing dragon. So long, my prize-winning short story, a spider attacking me from a toilet tank. Bye-bye, my dream of writing the great American novel and hello, dogged productivity after college, instead of figuring out how to pay my rent as a creative person, I went into business, not knowing that it doesn't matter how high you climb if your ladder is on the wrong wall. The next big handbook rule was always put others first. Ta da! Welcome to a lifetime of people pleasing, which reached its peak when at 40, I gave up my professional identity to follow my husband's career around the world. I recognize now how creative it was to reinvent a life afresh in a new country every few years, but I wasn't writing, even though I finally had the time for it, if only I would step away from being the perfect corporate spouse, the perfect expatriate, the perfect everything. Luckily, and I would wish this on anyone at any age, I had a midlife crisis. My parents came to the ends of their lives and did that ever help me get it that the clock is ticking. I finally saw that I was not living my life. I finally was sick and tired of not expressing myself. Thanks to lots of therapy and personal growth work, I started practicing choice and intention I started praying for creative expression and listening for the small, quiet voice to guide me to what that might look like. And, hmm, coincidence or not coincidence? I live around the corner from Chicago's Second City. On a whim, I signed up for Improv for Adults and was instantly restored to the joyful freedom of my childhood creativity. Anyone for Beauty and the Beast? Then I checked out storytelling. My travel misadventures elicited gratifying laughter. Once I started to share more vulnerably about my infertility, marriage, caretaking parents, the handbook tried to shame me with another rule. Don't wash your dirty laundry in public. But I felt the audience's hunger for real human stories. I saw that it's not up to me to tell anyone else's story but it is up to me to tell mine. Stories from my heart are never just about me. I got clear on my why as an artist, to inspire, to entertain, to delight, to connect with audiences and to reconnect to myself. That gave me the strength to finally write a book, not the great American novel, but a memoir I'm proud of for how it seems to touch readers. So here's me at 62. I work hard, but not just for work's sake. I still love to please and champion others, but no longer dread that my tombstone will read lived everyone else's lives for them, or for that matter, to-do list completed on deathbed. I try to embrace ease and to bring something of beauty to the world and restored to me, I defend my art once more cloud gazing, making up stories, and coloring outside the lines. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to see videos of my story slams with the moth, or know more about my book, Bravish, a memoir of a recovering perfectionist, thanks for visiting my website,
0: www.margaretguilmetti.com. Thank you. Margaret Gilmetti is wonderful. She does so many live storytelling events all around Chicago and elsewhere. And there's something that happens when she performs. I've seen her on stage at The Moth where she just comes into her own and she really just takes on the stage (laughs) so if you get a chance check out her live lit but if you're unable to see her in person then definitely check out her memoir bravish i had the great honor of helping coach her through the process of revision and getting that published and i'm so glad that it's out in the world So we're going to hear from a third writer who is talking about trusting herself, but this time in the realms of becoming a mother, whether or not to become a mother, and all of the desires and fears that go along with making that decision.
3: Hi, I'm Natalie Lockett, an author and podcaster from Wyoming, where I live with my husband and a zoo of pets. My podcast, Right Away with Nat and PJ, has welcomed guests like Charlie Jane Anders and our host, Nadine. I'm represented by Tara Gonzalez at EMLA, writing horror-adjacent fantasy with nonfiction work in Brevity Blog, Her Story, and Across the Margin. Motherhood is for the birds. A towering spruce shadowed the house on Lucky Road well before I lived there surviving windstorms and wet, heavy snow, and my husband's lamentations of how its fallen needles kill his beloved grass. I looked up how to mow those diamonds they do on golf courses, he says. I'd noticed, but spare another glance over a pile of soapy dishes as if this is new information. You don't even care. It's a playful observation, but this is the thing between us, where I try and often fail as his wife to show appropriate enthusiasm. I do. My voice is a false note, dissonant and too high. I do care about him and what makes him happy, but I'm stuck on the pruning of my fingers, submerged in the dingy water and slimy bits of food. Adept at masking my autism, I know communication is more than words. To be a convincing counterfeit, I've learned to manually employ behaviors others do as naturally as breathing, but I'm not immune to overstimulation. When the lights are too bright or the room is too hot or wet, scrambled eggs slither through my fingers and down the drain, at best, these things make me aloof. At worst, angry. Later that summer, the tree on Lucky Road became a home of its own, the birds screech reaching the furthest edges of the neighborhood. Did you hear about the hawk? As if in reply, the prey bird shrieked at the man who interrupted my husband's yard work. In the five years since we'd moved in, the man who lived across the street had never spoken to us, or even waved. But that day, he crossed the asphalt with all the caution of a man marked for death, cowering under an umbrella. Be careful! It sent a roofer to the ER. In the minutes after his warning, the bird set its sights on an old woman out for a walk, swooping fast and low. Then it attacked the mailman. But never my husband mowing his lawn at the base of the tree. Instead, as the afternoon wore on, it seemed to watch something from its 40 foot perch three young hawks practicing flight on the roof next door. Her babies. The mothering practices of birds vary widely. A mother cowbird lays up to 40 eggs in a single breeding season, all of which she'll deposit in the nests of unsuspecting surrogate warblers and blackbirds. A large hawk defends her nest with her sharp claws and forceful beak up to a range of 18 and a half miles, watching like a hawk, as they say. Until recently, I hadn't decided if motherhood was something I wanted for myself. Chief among my concerns has always been my body's intolerance of sensory discomfort. So, motherhood in a nutshell from the poking and prodding of pregnancy, to breastfeeding, to wiping snot from a toddler's upper lip. To be a mother, you must accept realities you otherwise wouldn't. Or, in my case, maybe couldn't. In the late hours of that summer, I couldn't be sure if it was the smell of freshly cut grass or grief that stung my nose and brought tears to my eyes. I'm worried I'll have to protect them from you, and I'll resent you for that, my husband said. Am I some kind of monster? I pictured myself as a fanged beast, hungry for unprovoked violence, But reality had always shown me to be a soft-bellied thing. The meal, not the mouth. No, but, you know, a kid might not understand. Children are smarter than you give them credit for. I argued without conviction. Emotion. How do our mothers teach us about love, if not by example? The conversation lingered, heavily nested in my heart, In all the ways I'm different, there are others in which I'm the same. All parents doubt their capability. But my husband's doubts centered around me, not himself. That was devastating enough to keep me from the topic for several weeks, silently wondering if he was right. The hawk's gone, my husband mused as we pulled up to the house. I glanced at the now-vacant spruce, standing tall over our quiet street. Her babies had flown the nest, having learned under her sharp watch. And I knew. There's no one way to offer a child the love and security they need. We all have our own methods of teaching flight. I'm the hawk. My husband humored the strange assertion with curious attention. As a mom, I mean, I'd be a hawk mom. Sometimes distant, but they'll never wonder if I'd attack someone for them. His knowing laugh confirmed my suspicions. My love is often as fierce as it is quiet. Before my children learn the language that sometimes stands between their father and I, I will teach them love as I know it, as an action. So when I cannot speak, the work of my hands can serve as proof of my heart. And when they are old enough, my husband can teach them how to mow diamonds on the lawn. Thanks for taking a moment to listen to my story. For more content or to connect, you can visit natlocketrights.com or RightAwayPod.com. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Nat underscore
0: locket. So if you love Nat as I do, you'll definitely want to check out her website, but also her incredible podcast right away, W-R-I-T-E, away, with Nat and PJ. They're amazing hosts. I am so lucky that I've been on their show twice, and they're wonderful interviewers and great humans. And I really, really love Nat's writing because It is so raw and candid and honest, and it talks about real things. It always dives deep. It doesn't shy away from going towards the hard stuff, the complicated stuff, the layered parts of being a human being. So I do hope that you'll check out Nat and her writing. Thank you for listening to these stories of these authors who have been in my class. I hope that it inspires you to share your own stories, write your own stories, and really understand how impactful sharing your stories can be. Thank you to my producer, Michelle Rado, for always supporting this podcast and making it incredible. If you love this podcast, please take a screenshot, share it with someone. Tell a friend about it. That's the best way that you can support me and the show and the writers who are on the show. Leave a review and rating on Apple iTunes podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show by just sharing and reviewing. It means the world to us and to me. Remember, every heart has a story and every story has a heart. See you next
1: week.